As we've said before, shared decision-making, like climate change, is a thing we're no longer going to debate. The benefits are well documented and it's just a moral good. However, doing it properly isn't as easy as saying that. And some new research published on bmj.com is looking at the creation of one model of how it can be done, the three talk model. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ, and to talk about that model, I'm joined by Professor Glyn Elwin uh, from the Dartmouth Institute of Health Policy and Clinical Practice, and one of the authors of that research. Um, Glyn, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us on the podcast. Pleasure. Um, So this is the sort of second phase, I suppose, in the development of your three-talk model. Um, But if I could get us to go right back to to the beginning, to phase one, um, what was it that that you set up three-talk to do? What was the idea behind developing this model in the first place? We were asked by the Health Foundation in London, um, a group of us in Cardiff and in Newcastle, um, two centres working together. It's called the MAGIC program, and you've just had a paper in the BMJ actually describing the MAGIC program by Natalie Joseph Williams. So it was to implement shared decision making in two national health service uh, kind of areas. And we were faced with a struggle at the time. Clinicians said, oh, I, I already do this stuff, shared decision-making, um, so don't, don't kind of uh, lecture me on that, as it were. And then we said, well, yeah, we understand that you're a very good communicator and fantastic bedside manner, but you may not actually be offering um, all the alternatives to patients and describing them well, so, and also you may not be curious about their preferences. And they said, oh, no, we're probably not doing that. And so we we wanted to help them understand what we were talking about when we used the term shared decision-making. And we wanted something pretty fast. We had a lunchtime usually to talk to our uh, clinical colleagues. And we wanted a very quick and easy model for them to understand, oh, so you want us to describe, you know, possible options. I said, yeah, we want you to describe possible options. And we want you to be curious about what people's views might be once they've understood those options. And so we came up with this idea of a three-talk model, hoping that people could remember three steps, as it were. And that's the origin. Um, So, yes, uh, you came up with this model, three steps, as you said. What are they? Can you take us through them? Well, at the time, and this was 2011, um, you know, five, six years ago, we came up with kind of very short words for these uh, talk. And I've been reading um, Austin about action, uh, talk uh, talk as action, speech Mm -hmm. acts, as he called them. And I said, well, maybe we should use that because this is about having good conversations with people. So we said, what about um, if we say choice talk and then option talk and then decision talk? These are kind of three steps. You need to make people aware of choices. You need to describe those options very carefully and then come to a good decision. And I think that was very helpful. Um, And not only did the clinicians say, get it quickly, um, a lot of our colleagues in the in our academic area in the field, if you like, say, oh yeah, we like that idea. And we we made a model. We we published it in an an American journal called JGIM after some efforts to try and get it somewhere. Um, And Lo and behold, it, it became quite popular. 
But then I kept hearing problems, actually, that people were confusing choice talk with option talk. They said, oh, what's the difference? Um, so that was one issue. The other issue, I think that's something um, myself and other colleagues kind of felt, that when you offer patients choice, they often push back and say, oh, no, 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 you're the expert. You, you tell me need to, what to do here. I don't want to think about choices. Mm-hmm. And so we were finding that even before you put options on the table, as it were, you need to reassure the patient or whoever in front of you to say, I'm going to do something a little bit new for you maybe, which is to describe choice, and then I'm going to support you and your family to think about those. They want... They fear being abandoned, if you like. And so we wanted to say something more positive about even the idea of putting choice out there. And so we experimented, if you like, with using the word team talk. And it's not, it's not a fantastic term, but you know, we, we struggled to find something else that was short. Some people are saying, well, do you mean the healthcare team? And I said, no, we, we mean making a team with the patient. And some people uh, have to have that explained, but I think we've uh, got over that at the moment, I hope, anyway. <laughs> so it sounds like there's, there's a lot of thought there about the kind of the exact words to use. Um, but could you sort of take us through the, the three concepts that you're, you're trying to um, describe there, really? Um, you know, what, what's the kind of philosophy of it? What do you... What, are you trying to do in the consultation? Sorry, what's the model trying to do uh, to sort of direct that um, the consultation? I think we're trying to really um, become granular about what it means to be patient-centered. Um, there's a lot of debate, and the term patient-centered has been in the literature for 30 or 40 years. But we're trying to get really specific about what that means. And I've got two verbs that I commonly use. It's about collaboration, working together. Um, and we use that in the model, working together. Um, and the second one is deliberation, just thinking carefully about what's in front of you, getting to know what the future might hold and understanding whether you would prefer that kind of route to the future or the other kind of route? How much work might that be for you? What the risks involved and so on? So the two verbs in a kind of more academic paper that we've used is collaborative deliberation. But clearly, we, we want to use something simpler um, uh, when we're trying to teach. Um, mm, so course. we use the three-talk model. But those the concepts, the philosophical concepts are collaboration and deliberation. And that's at the root of, my view, good medical practice. Okay, so if we, we now get us up to date, um, you've re-looked at... Uh, this and and um you've done this in a very sort of deliberative way um with people uh which is what's been written up in the bmj so what did you decide to do to to kind of um to change the model and 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 hone it a little bit for uh uh for teaching so we wanted this to be this mod this new model to be very acceptable to clinicians um if if we want to get if we want to get anywhere, we want them to understand it pretty quickly, and we want them to feel attracted to teaching it to others, uh, so that it becomes intuitive, if you like. 
And so we stuck to the idea of three steps or three talks, as we call it. And we reached out, first of all, to our community, if you like, the people who've been working for the last 20 years on shared decision-making and patient decision aids as an adjunct to that. And we said, here's our first draft of a change. What do you like or what don't you like? What would you go with and what would you wouldn't go with? And that was um, the kind of 30 or 40 people that are close colleagues, if you like, and, mm-hmm. and others. And we tried to get an international flavor to that. So we reached out to people in different countries so we would get an international view on that. And they reacted with a Google document, actually, and gave lots of comments. And then after that, we made a revision, and we then circulated that to many, many groups of people uh, in different communities, the evidence-based medicine community, the shared decision-making listserv. And eventually, we offered the opportunity to comment on the model to many thousands, I think. But we had about 150 people who gave us detailed reactions and comments, both positive and negative. And even then, at that stage, we made lots of changes. And we then uh, tried to make a diagram, which was uh, one was a linear model, one was a more circular model. Um, and we got reactions to that from a group of specialists who are not involved in the shared decision-making world. That was the third step. And we used a, a community membership group, people who are clinically qualified, and we sent the model out to um, many hundreds of those. And we purposefully said we'll, we'll get reactions from different kinds of specialists, some in internal medicine and family medicine, and some in surgical specialties. And that's what we've been written, writing up in the BMJ for three steps of consultations and many, many changes along the way. Mm. Um, I mean, this is about uh, you know, creating or, or supporting patient-centered care. Did you talk to patient communities at all about this model and about how it, you know, how it resonated with them or, or might address some of, of what they wanted? No, and that's been the criticisms um, of us, actually. Um, we did, however, send the model to the Society for Participatory Medicine, um, which has many patient members, and we got patient comments from members of that society. And, of course, many of the people who belong to the evidence-based medicine, LITSERV, and so on, um, are, mem- are patient members. But we didn't specifically actually reach out to uh, patients here. So uh, we accept that criticism, but I, I think I fall back on my original um, kind of uh, aim, if you like, was unless this was going to be acceptable to clinicians, we weren't going to be able to use it with them in their teaching. But I accept, actually, that we should have tested this maybe a little bit more rigorously with patient groups. Sure. Um, So, uh, given all that that feedback that you got, what changed about the model? What, um, What did you learn from it? What do we learn? Well, we learned, I think, the the importance of being very clear about what we meant by each talk step. And you'll notice in in the BMJ publication that we've got um, the label and then we've got a short description of what that means. And for example, Team Talk has the short description, work together, describe choices, offer support, and ask about goals. Now, they seem like very brief 
um, description, but each one actually relates to a deeper issues. And one of the new things in this model is the focus on goals. Um, goal setting is a fundamental task uh, that leads to more shared decision making. That wasn't in the first model. That, that's an, a new thing. The second thing is to offer some scripts, actually, and you'll see speech bubbles in the model, which I uh, uh, had a very uh, good experience with Will, um, uh, your graphic editor at the BMJ, to make a, this uh, circular model. And it's got a speech bubble in it. Let's work as a team to make a decision that suits you best. Now, that captures, if you like, the whole ethos of shared decisioning in one sentence. That, and my feeling is that if a clinician starts off a visit with that, let's work as a team, you and me, to make a decision that suits you best, there's going to be a warm glow to that encounter from that point onwards, in my view. Mm, mm. Um, Somebody, one of the peer reviewers, and I can't remember who it was now, said, I'm surprised that the uh, listening isn't mentioned in this model. And you know what? <laughs> I think if we'd given this to patients, we would have had that comment earlier. Um, but it was a very important comment. And even after we'd done all our consultation, we put active listening in the center of the model. And that was, an, you know, we had a blind spot as a, as a research group on that. And sometimes you, you need that sort of external perspective you, to, yes. to just make these things uh, that seem like they should be implicit but aren't just uh, to, to really make them stand out. Um, now, this isn't part of the research that, that you've published with us, but I wonder, have you done any evaluation of the three-talk model in practice and, and how it's actually working with um, clinicians and, and for patients as well to, to encourage shared decision-making? Not formally. Um, we've never used the model in a kind of randomized trial or um, an evaluation of uh, a structured training. But on the other hand, we, we use this model day in, day out when we do workshops, and we've done many, many workshops, and many other colleagues in different countries have used this model for workshops. One of the challenges we've had is um, we've never done a kind of control study where we offer one way of teaching versus another way of teaching. So we haven't got those kind of evaluations at the moment. Mm. We do have a lot of feedback from colleagues that they find this a very easy and intuitive way to understand the concept of shared decision making. But yes, I, I fall on my sword here. We, we just haven't got um, sufficient evaluation of this model yet. Um, and and I'd, I'd love to do that. I'm, I'm willing for anybody to take that on. And we are having conversations in our research group, actually, about how could we uh, evaluate the use of this model more rigorously. The whole idea of, of setting up the, um, the three-top model was to try and sort of systematize the process a little bit in a way that does make it amenable to, to teaching. Um, and another thing that... Uh, tried to do that was the the ICE model, I suppose, um, patients' ideas, concerns, and expectations, which has been around for a long time. Um, and we had a recent podcast on that where uh, patients and um, clinicians as well talked about how they felt that that had moved from being almost like a sort of a conceptual model to help you think about, you know, the way in which your consultation could be conducted. And it turned into this much more concrete, you know, these are three questions that I have to ask. So almost a, essentially, you know, talking to a patient, what is your idea about this? What are your concerns about this? What do you expect to happen? Um, 
which obviously wasn't the, the the goal of that in the first place. I'm just wondering, you know, with your with your model, um, is that something that you've worried about or or that you think about? It is, um, yeah, uh, and you'll see. I think in the in the way we've tried to visualize the model, uh, you'll see one, two, three numbers there, <clears throat> and that's a kind of gentle indication that we probably want you to start with team talk, go to option talk, and then finish off with three talk. That's the kind of makes some sense, but the the diagram actually shows um, bi-directional arrows between these. We we know that sometimes patients come in and say, I've heard about this option. I know that you recommend the other one, but what do we think? They may you start with option talk, for example, or even sometimes I want whatever, you know, they've, they've alighted on decision talk. Um, and so you, a, a good clinician would be totally flexible about how they conduct these talks. Um, it's not a rigid model. It's actually, in my view, a conceptual kind of philosophy about, again, I'll repeat myself, the collaboration and deliberation. If you're doing those two things, the order of these things or the actual words that you use doesn't matter a hoot. Mm. Does the the context in which you're working matter, though? Um, I'm just wondering, you know, different places around the world. At the moment, you're in the States, but you you're, um, you used to be in the UK. And, you know, the NHS context where you've got a very short window for, um, you know, for a consultation uh, might make it harder to use than in a, I don't know, private medicine where you might have more of a more time to sort of sit and, and talk about these things. So I was just wondering, do you think context matters? Maybe. Maybe it does. Um, but we've actually had quite a few studies now where we've used um, some simple tools, adjuncts, if you like, um, tables to help people compare um, options, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And and we're finding that they hardly lengthen the consultation. They give it more structure. Most good clinicians are explaining uh, uh, and giving a lot of information anyway. What's hard for patients to grasp is that there are there are comparisons to, comparisons to be made. And 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 I admit, I think, and other people will admit that not every consultation has a shared decision in it. Um, there are sometimes very effective treatments that you need to recommend, as it were. But more often than we think, it's possible to wait or do nothing or to compare possible alternatives. And in those situations, I think patients really value being considered a partner in that decision. And especially for long-term decisions where you're going to start a medication for your lifetime, it takes more than 10 minutes to make that decision, and justifiably so, because you want to consult with family members and so on. So investing in good decision-making, in my view, and we're beginning to see evidence of this, leads to better adherence and much better confidence of patients in the decisions that they've made. So I would argue that even in short, uh, situation, short consultation situations, the investment in the right decision is a really worthy investment because it leads to gains later in your journey with that patient. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's something we've heard echoed uh, a lot that, you know, making the right decision is worth investing the time in um, earlier on to, to save time and money down the line. Um What's the next step for this? Uh, do you have any plans for further evaluation or, or rolling the three-top model out? 
Yes, we do. Um, I've actually reached out to many of uh, the international people and others, um, and I'm actually getting quite a, a, a nice reaction from Twitter and so on. People want to translate, and I'm really happy that that would be happening in different countries. Uh, Germany wants to do it, and I think Spain wants to do it, so that would be great. But I think the more important one would be a set of evaluations, and I'm having discussions with uh, colleagues right now about what would we be controlling against, if you like, or what would we try and track. My view would, it would be that we would try and track people's skill development, whether they would get better at shared decision-making if they're trained using this model versus uh, not, uh, or maybe mm -hmm. compared to something else. Um, there's also, interestingly enough, a, a deepening of each of these talks. Um, uh, we know that when we train, people say, oh, how do I do that? How do I do that without, um, uh, how do I do the, those steps skillfully? What are the talk, what are the scripts that I need? What are the sentences that I need to use? And that's where um, communication specialists and discourse analysts come into play. On the, talk, on the team talk side, I'm interested, very interested in the different levels of goals that people have. The first level of goals is to deal with their symptoms, for example. Second level of goals is to do with function, what can I do in my week? And there's a third level, which many clinicians don't go to, which is about hopes and desires. What am I trying to achieve in my life? And sometimes if you tap into that higher level goal, you'll get a rich understanding of your patients and what they're trying to achieve by consulting with you. So I'm, I'm interested in deepening the model in some of these areas as well. Mm. And um, I suppose the last question I had is this model is obviously, as we've talked about, a conceptual sort of framework in which to have these uh these conversations. Um, do you think it works together with any other tools in particular that, that might be useful to um, to really make that, that patient engagement uh, the best it can be? I do, and um, I'm going to declare a completing interest now. I've developed option grids, and um, I'm consulting with a company that makes those tools. But those kinds of comparison tables, which are short enough to fit in and for a, for a clinician to say, here are the options, here are the kind of frequently asked questions that patients have, those kinds of tools, the Victor Montori makes similar tools in the Mayo Clinic mm -hmm. called Issues Cards, and Anique Gear in Quebec makes uh, decision boxes. These kinds of encounter tools that really fit into the conversations that people can have, we're finding that they're really changing the conversation. We've got some really interesting evidence of conversations changing, not only by being more effective, but also being more efficient. So this model fits very nicely with tools that clinicians can have, not just the stethoscope, but a kind of comparison of options tools. You've been listening to Glyn Elwin talk about the research paper, a three-talk model for shared decision-making, multi-stage consultation process, which is now available on bmj.com. That's it for this episode. We'll be back soon with more research. Until then, have a look at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're available in most places now. There you'll find a huge selection of our back catalogue. And for even more, you can go to bmj.com forward slash podcasts, where you'll find years worth, all available for free. So check that out. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor for the BMJ. Thanks for listening.